Let's read our text, starting in verse 13. Ephesians 6. It says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand. This is Ephesians 6, page 817. Verse 14, he says, Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's the word of the Lord from Ephesians 6. And so last week, Aaron, if you were here with us, he taught so well on the verses preceding the ones that we're going to be in this morning. And he he really gave us a beautiful understanding of the schemes of the enemy that, that he will come after us to distract and frustrate not just God's people, but all people. So we talked about this idea that in the enemy's arsenal are, are accusation and, and, and temptation and intimidation. But these are so often the ways that the enemy comes after us. I just want to put all my cards on the table. You know, one of the prayers that I've been praying that you don't know me too well, but I love our church dearly. I pray for our cannery family um, all the time. One of the, the prayers that I've been praying for our church family in general, just the bigger ethos family, is that God uh, would, like a light switch, um, turn on the lights and help us to see and understand the ways that the enemy is working in our lives. You see, because I believe that when, uh, when, when the light is turned on, and if we have the, the level-headedness enough to know that there are only two sides at work, God and the enemy, and if we could see the destructive paths and the plans of the enemy, that, that you and I, we would never surrender any part of our day, any part of our life to the enemy who wants to destroy us. And so I've been praying, God, would you just help us to see the, the work of the enemy in our life? So let me ask you this morning, have you been experiencing that? I don't want you to answer me out loud, but think about that. Have you been noticing, you've been hearing, have you been seeing the work of the enemy? Last week, we looked at the enemy's tactics. And this week is all about how we stand with God through them. How we stand with God in the midst of them. And so a couple of things I want to say just to, to, to preface this before we jump into walking through these few verses. And this is the first is, you know, I don't, I don't know where you are in regards to your awareness of the unseen forces that are, that are at work in us and around us. I'm sure that some of you come this morning and you're, you're indifferent, you're confused. Some of you might have it all figured out. You should be teaching instead of me. But, but my hope is by the end of our time together this morning that, that you're confident you're not afraid. I was driving home the other day thinking about Ephesians 6, thinking about you guys, thinking about our time together this morning. And, and the reality is that the majority of us, we just don't see the things that are going on around us. I know there's some of you that, that do, but the majority of us don't. And that can be a terrifying thought. We don't know how many we're up against. We don't know... Uh, where they come from or when they come. You're like, I haven't thought about it like that before. I wasn't scared, but now I am. Thanks a lot. Go back to marathon, right? Like, and, and, and the second thing I'll say is this, you know, I, I love what, what Paul wrote to the churches in, in Ephesus because it's so blessed them and it's blessed the churches throughout the centuries. And it's going to bless our church this morning because this is what Paul does. He says, Hey, he, he prepares us 
for what to do when the enemy comes knocking. Ephesians 6 is all about Paul preparing us for what to do when the enemy comes knocking on the doors of our lives. And I'll say this, if God, if for whatever reason, God doesn't uh, want us or allow the majority of us to see the things that are going on, we can trust that God is watching out for our best interest. And it's so unbelievably important for us to listen to these words, to obey these words, because it's in these next four (laughs) verses where Paul says, when the enemy comes after you, if you want to know what to do, here's what you do. So much of our lives is about preparing. We prepare in a, a numerous ways for numerous things. We, we prepare for college. We prepare for give. We prepare for all these things down the road. And I'm just kind of thinking about all the ways that we prepare. And the reason that we prepare is so that we can respond in real time. Right? So I remember when my wife was in PT school and um, she would come home at night and she would need me to help prepare her for, for her practical. And so she would give me these note cards that I didn't understand at all what was going on in those note cards, but I would say something and, and it would cue her memory. And so we would just sit there for hours in our little duplex in Green Hills and we would prepare and we prepare and we prepare. Why? So that when gay day, game day rolled around, she could respond. Or think about my kids. I have three little kids. I have an almost five-year-old, not almost six-year-old, almost five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a five-month-old. And, and we're always telling our two oldest kids, my wife and I, hey, if, if creepy people ever come up to our house, or if you see creepy people at the playground, don't talk to them. Like, you know, and if they try to get you to get in their van or their car, don't ever go with them. If they use their puppy to try to get you to, to lure them, don't talk to them. Like, if, if someone tries to take you, scream at the top of your lungs. And call out for mom and dad and run as fast as you can. And we're preparing them. Why? Because we care deeply about it. The moment comes, we want them to respond accordingly. And Paul, through the Holy Spirit and God's deep love and deep care for his people, he doesn't want us to be unprepared for the battle. And so he says, if you want to know what to do when the enemy comes knocking, I'm going to tell you. Here's how you prepare so that you can respond. This is what he says in verse 13. We're going to walk through this verse by verse. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand. So stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness. And I think it's important to mention that there is a way to stand strong against the enemy so that he doesn't just eat your lunch like a bully on the playground every time he comes to work in your life. Church, you need to know that, that you know, Corey and Rachel, you're, you're not a pushover. And, and Natalie and Kyle, you are not weak. And church, you are not defenseless. This idea of, of standing firm, you know what it means? It implies not giving away ground and not shrinking back and not being scared. So when Satan comes to lie and to destroy, it is not inevitable that he's going to win. In fact, it's the exact opposite. You're made to stand strong in the midst of his work. So let's think about this. Let's bring this into our lives for a minute. What do we do when the enemy comes after us? When you're alone at night, your computer's open, you have your phone with you, and the enemy reminds you that any image that you want to see is a click away. What do you do? Does it feel like there's no way out? When the opposite sex, is not, opposite sex they're not giving you any attention, not showing you any interest. The enemy starts attacking your identity, your looks. What do you do? 
when we gossip, when we slander someone else's character, when we are filled with pride, when we cheat, when we lie, when we steal, and the enemy tries to convince us that there's no way that God would ever take us back, not after we did this again, what do we do? And so often, we just let the enemy take our lunch like a bully on the playground. We just let him have his way. No doubt, the enemy is good with his words. And he's very convincing. And so often, we give ground away that God conquered in our lives a long time ago. So what are we supposed to do? We're not helpless. We're not defenseless. He describes to us the armor of God. And so often, I've been fixated on the actual armor instead of what the armor is pointing to. And Paul points us to truth and righteousness. And what I noticed this week as I was reading this text is that Paul doesn't tell us to put on truth and righteousness, church, like we don't already have them. He says, no, stand firm. That's the order. That's the directive. Because you already have them. You've already been clothed in truth. You've already been clothed in righteousness. Truth in the book of Ephesians seems to be a pretty big deal to Paul. He mentions it several times in his letter, chapter 1, chapter 4, chapter, fifth, or chapter 5. There's not chapter 15 in Ephesians. And truth is, is ultimately Jesus. That he is the opposite of deceiver. He is the opposite of an imposter. Jesus is real. Jesus is genuine. Jesus speaks truth. Jesus is truth. And we, as Christians, have truth in us and with us because Christ. And when the enemy comes knocking, trying to deceive us to do something or to believe something that ultimately isn't true, when he promises something that he can't fulfill, we have truth in us, we have truth with us to guide us, to help us discern. This is what Jesus said the Spirit of God would do in John chapter 16. He said the Spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. And I love this idea of righteousness, one of my favorite things to talk about. Whenever anyone turns to Jesus in faith, this is what Paul writes in another one of his letters, Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. He says, for all of you who are baptized into Christ, you have clothed yourselves with Christ. And so righteousness isn't primarily about what we earn. Righteousness is primarily about what we receive, what we inherit, what we step into. I was thinking this week how often I value things that I earn that I work for, that I accomplish way more than things that are given to me. Maybe you're like this, maybe you're not. But maybe this will be helpful for you. You know that, and I don't do this with everything, but there are certain things, you know, so my lawnmower, I love to work out in the yard. I don't know why, I just, I love to be outside. I love to mow, I love to just make beautiful straight lines and, and, and to, to, to work in the yard. And, and every time I get done mowing, I, I wash my lawnmower and you're like, what? This guy is a nut job. I agree, but um, I, I just take care of it. Why do I take care of it? Because I paid for it. Because I know how much it costs, and I value it, and I want to, to take very good care of it. And I, and I contrast that with this sweet leaf blower that my father-in-law got for me for Christmas. <laughs> I have no idea what it costs. I have no idea what it's worth. And this past week, I had to take it to get it fixed. Because <laughs> I didn't value it. I didn't treat it the same. You see, my friends, with righteousness, when you become a Christian, when you become a follower of Christ, you are given Jesus' righteousness. Now, when he looks at you, he sees blamelessness. 
right? Amen. Do you believe that? He looks at us and he sees perfection. He sees holiness. He sees Christ. That's what it means to be clothed in Christ. And this is a gift from God. And yet so often we want to earn our righteousness. And what happens as Christians is that so often we actually try to end up valuing our own righteousness more than the righteousness that was given to us by Jesus. And so hear me out. We tend to lean on our own discipline. How well we've been reading the word, how much we've been praying, how self-controlled, how generous, how kind we've been to the poor. And we measure all these things on our own righteousness, our own doing. And the enemy, because we all stumble, we all fall. We try to to find our main worth and our identity based on our own righteousness. The enemy comes at us and he says, yeah, you have been praying and you have been reading the word and you have been serving the poor and, and caring for the lost. But I can't believe what you did last night. I cannot believe you got drunk again. I cannot believe you messed around with your girlfriend again. There's no righteousness in you. When we build our lives around unrighteousness, the enemy just crumbles us. And as Christians, we must learn to elevate and treasure the most the the best, the truest righteousness that was given to us by Jesus from his goodness and his mercy towards us, which doesn't change, which the enemy cannot touch. So Paul says, church, he says, my sisters, my brothers, stand firm when the bully comes, knowing that truth is with you, knowing that you have right standing with God. This is a gift from Jesus. He keeps going in verse 15. He says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Nations fight. We have wars to establish peace. We separate ourselves from relationships and people so we can have peace. We move neighborhoods so we can have peace. We are all after peace. And we have the internal peace of knowing Christ and the hope that we have because of him. And we want people to have Christ and to have his peace. As a church, as a people of God, people who are called to represent Jesus, man, we don't want people living in anxiety and in fear and in condemnation and in stress. You see, when Christ comes and he makes his home in a person's life, this is what he did for all of us who are Christians. When he came and he settled down in here, he brought his peace with him. And it doesn't mean that, that we never have moments of being anxious or, being wor- or, or worrying or being stressed. But when Christ comes and he sets up shop, he brings his peace. And we want that for other people. Amen. The church for too long, we've taken our righteousness and we've taken our truth. And we've distanced ourselves from the world, from the very ones who need the gospel of peace. And I love what Paul says. He says, church, at at all times, we must be ready to proclaim the gospel of peace to, to those who don't know him. To those who don't have him. You know, the gospel that Jesus preached, this is not, uh, this is just a, a, this is not a comprehensive statement, but the, the gospel that he preaches that the sin is forgiven, that the poor are taken care of, that captives are set free, that what Christ promises, Christ delivers on. And part of our defense against the enemy is being ready and willing at all times to speak of Jesus to share him with others. 
Something I noticed in my own life this weekend is I have these moments and so often this will happen at night or on the weekends where, where I'll just hear this voice and, and maybe you can relate to this where uh, I'll, I'll start hearing this voice. Hey, Brandon, don't feel like you have to like, you know, you're going to get some, a few things from, uh, from Kroger for Courtney. You got to go get gas or you're going on a run. Don't feel like you have to stop and talk to people or share the gospel. You don't have to have your eyes open like if, if you meet somebody in need or if, if someone looks like they could use some encouragement or prayer. You've had a, a long week of doing ministry and you deserve this. Is that voice? You ever heard that voice? And I, really, I realize that I do this often, that the enemy starts convincing me that I don't need to be ready. And I can't name it in the moment, but that's exactly what's happening. And Paul says, Christians, part of our defense, part of what it means to, to not give the enemy any space in your life is just to be willing and ready at all times. This is what Peter writes in his letter. First Peter says, always be, be ready to give the reason for the hope that you have. He keeps going in verse 16. He says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You know, so in the first century, they had these massive shields that were made of metal, that were made of leather. And so often the Roman soldiers before battle, they would take these shields and they would dip them into water and they would go out onto war. And the reason they would do this is because the enemies so often would take their arrows, they would dip them in tar, set them on fire and they would shoot them. And so the Roman soldiers understood that, that their shields couldn't just, or they would not only just absorb and stop the arrows, but they would actually put out the fire. And it's interesting that, that faith is what Paul tells us will stop the conversation the enemy is trying to have with us. That faith is what stops his arrows of destruction from getting into our hearts. And so faith, the most elementary teaching, the most basic principle of what it means to, to live this thing out with God is, is trusting in God. Faith is trusting in the God that we can't see right now, that he is not against us, but that he is for us. Faith is that, is that Christ Jesus came, that he died for our sins, that he rose from the dead, that he ascended to the Father's right hand, where he is preparing a place for us, where he is interceding for us. Faith is this idea that we trust in his promises and in his presence. We trust in his deliverance. We trust in his provision and the fact that he is working in all things for our good. Faith Trusting in God, trusting in these things. How beautiful, how simple. And yet, let me ask us this. Why do so many Christians fall away? Because the enemy goes after the faith. How many people in your life that, that you know that used to walk with Jesus and, and they just stopped believing? didn't make sense anymore. How many people do you know that, that quit trusting in Jesus because hard things were happening in their lives and they couldn't understand how God would allow these things to happen? You see, Christians, many Christians, they quit the battle not because they are bad people but because their faith is being attacked and they just don't know what to do. And Paul looks at us and he says, church, the enemy will come after your faith. But clinging to that faith is the very thing that will repel him. 
But what's so hard is that the enemy preys on our areas of insecurity and vulnerability. This is the way he works. I felt it this morning. You know, I got up early. I was driving in to spend some time to just get my bearings for this morning. And, and the enemy was reminding me that I, hadn't, that I hadn't spent nearly as much time with the Lord this weekend as I wanted to. That my heart wasn't fully locked in, that I wasn't just consistently connected to his heart and, and serving my family and locked in with him. And so the enemy, his voice to me this morning is, who are you to talk this morning? You weren't even living into that this weekend. And in the midst of the enemy's voice, we cling to faith. Faith is primarily not what we have done for Christ, but what Christ has done for us. So I get to preach this morning, not because I'm perfect, because he is. I get to stand up here in confidence this morning because he is good. And the enemies, yeah, his, his lies, his threats, his words keep coming. We're the people of God. And he finishes out like this in verse 17. He says, so take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So as we, we, we live with, with Christ in us and with us as the truth, as we wear his righteousness proudly, as we are eager to share him, as we have our faith secured, as we become convinced here in our minds that God really has saved us, here's what happens. The enemy finds us to be impenetrable. No chinks in the armor. No back door unlocked. We are secure and protected. We're left with the most offensive weapon there is. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is a message of salvation, which is the power of God to work through his words to bring about change in our very real lives. I love what the writer in Hebrews chapter four says. He says, the word of God, it is living, it is alive, and it is active. And I'm here to tell you that when, when God starts speaking, or maybe when we start listening, <laughs> things start changing. Do you know how ethos started? God started speaking to Dave and Sid. And when God speaks, things change. Have you been blessed by this church? It's all because of God. And when God starts speaking, things start changing. That's why the words in Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4 are such a big deal. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You see, when his words, when they're in our minds, when they're in our ears, when they're in our hearts, we treasure them. Have you ever received a letter from someone that you care about, someone that you love? They gave you a letter and you find yourself just reading it over and over and over again. friend of mine, she goes to five o'clock. She has this prophetic um, ability. She sees things and hears things. And so one day she said, I was, God was putting some pictures and some words on my heart for you, Brandon. So I wrote them down and she gave me this just, this 
amazing just envelope, this watered color picture, and all these words that were inside of it. And I just took it, and I, and I read it, and my heart was just so filled with joy as I realized that, that I hadn't talked to her about any of the things that were going on in my life. And God was revealing to her things that were going on in my life. And I'm reading this, and I'm so unbelievably encouraged and comforted and strengthened. And so often, I'll go back, and I'll, and I'll read that letter when my faith is weak, when my, when my heart is weary, to, to be reminded that God sees us, that he sees me. The same is true for, for the scriptures. When you read this, can, are you satisfied? Or is your heart so locked in that you get done and you go, man, I want more. And my gut is that you, if you and I, if we'll just stay in this thing, if we will keep prioritizing, if we will keep valuing God's voice and his words into our life, I think that there will be a day where, where we want nothing more than just to be in his presence, and that's where we're going. Dave was telling me about one of his friends, as one of his mentors, and he said that, that he'll do this where he'll take 72 hours, and he won't eat, he won't drink. He'll literally just read through the entire Bible in 72 hours. And I go, what propels somebody into that kind of living? Someone who knows that God's words bring life and joy and hope. God's word to us through the scriptures, through the Holy Spirit, through people of faith. Man, it encourages us. His words inspire us. They, incur they comfort us. They guide us. And the same is true for God's word through us. You and I, we have no idea the power of God's word. But may we be people that treasure them. May we be people who treasure his words, that know his word, that speak his word, who listen for his word. And so what happens when we as Christians, we stand like this? When we are clothed in the truth and the righteousness and the peace of the gospel that is strapped to us, what happens when we, we take up faith? What happens when we put on the helmet of salvation and we know that we have the word of, of God with us? What happens? The enemy flees. This is what James, the brother of Jesus, says in James chapter 4, verse 7. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That the enemy is not like God. He is not constant. He's not always with us. Go back and read Matthew chapter four. The enemy comes, the enemy goes. This is true for all of our lives. There are seasons of intense persecution in uh, your own life, and there are seasons where it just intense peace, and that's because the enemy isn't always with us. And Paul says, if you'll be clothed in the armor of God, you can respond when the enemy comes, and he will flee. So what do we do with this? It's on us. It's on the spirit that God gave us to lead us, to help us, to encourage us, to remind us of all the things that we know. So we're going to take communion here in just a minute. And if you're here this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a believer, I want to invite you. If, if you have questions or if you're interested in becoming a, a child of God, I invite you to come all the way in this morning. to experience the rest and the righteousness and the forgiveness and friendship with God. And if you want to talk or pray, there'll be some men and women behind me at the Red Respond Band. We'd love for you, as Will gets back up here and leads us in a time of worship, for you to come and just let us listen and walk with you. For others, I want to encourage you 
to go to one of the tables, to the bar, to get a piece of bread, to get a cup of juice and to come back to your seat and just to pray for each other for a few minutes. To share where the enemy's been coming after you, the schemes that he's been using and ask God to help you. If God gives you that higher ground picture this morning, the way that the enemy is working in your life, give him thanks and ask him to equip you this week in real time to respond accordingly. If you don't have someone to pray with or you want to talk, come to the respond, man, and we'd love to do that with you. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just the power in your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you just valued us so much that you gave it all for us. And thank you, God, for trusting us with your spirit. I pray that those of us who are followers of Jesus, that we would just cling to you with everything that we have. We value more than, we'd value you more than anything else. And for those in the room that don't yet know you, thank you so much for their willingness to come here. What courage, um, what incredible work that you're doing in their lives. And I pray that you'll bring it to completion, that you'll add them to our family, to your family. God, call them home. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for every man, a woman, and child here today. Bless us today with your presence. Hear our prayers as we pray them and strengthen us so we can be your people this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.